This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Welcome to Quitters. I'm Chad Sanders. And I am Julie Bowen. And today, we talk to musical pop star, writer, singer, performer, Ash. Yes. Her real name's Ashlyn, but she goes by Ash. And boy, am I a huge fan. I was driving in a car in the pouring rain, and I remember hearing her song about a breakup and how she could have saved half her 20s and maybe half her money. (laughs) If only she hadn't been with this guy and I just had to pull over and start scribbling down her name and who she was and I went home and Spotified the hell out of her. I'm a huge fan and when I was lucky enough to host Jimmy Kimmel, I requested her as my musical guest and she said yes. And when I DM'd her to be on our podcast, she said yes. And this was incredibly (laughs) exciting. Yeah, and her breakup was a divorce, a very serious breakup for a pretty young person. And on top of that, as Ash gets into very openly in this conversation, she lost her brother to an overdose just as her star was starting to skyrocket as a musician, which I cannot even imagine, but I learn in this conversation, what sort of mental, emotional gymnastics she was going through during that time. In a huge way, by being so real and so vulnerable. And I was already won over, but I love watching you get won over too. Yeah, I thought she was really human. I saw you so moved by her soulfulness. That was really impactful for me. I loved it. I love watching you. (laughs) Everybody we talk to is interesting, but I can watch you and how you interact. And that's always interesting to me. I never know what to expect with people. And it is true that I, especially with white guests, I probably do lean more toward, is this just something that a PR person plopped on their calendar and they're just going to mindlessly stumble through it? Or are they going to actually come in like bare soul? And she, I think also as a musician, singer, songwriter, is really comfortable giving it up that way. So here she is, Ash. I'm beside myself, and I just want to introduce you, first of all, to Chad. Chad Sanders is an author, and he wrote a book called Black Magic, and he's also a recording artist, a screenwriter, and he's awesome in general, and Ash is a recording artist and a very young, successful woman who just hit it big in her 20s during COVID, right? Yeah, crazy. We've got these bells that you will occasionally hear us refer to, but we ring them on each other sometimes when we say or do something that we want to kind of mark for later so that we stop being (laughs) assholes. I have a tendency to get a little bull in a china shop. I can talk about anything and I can interrupt you. Chad, do you have your own bell as well? I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is this going to happen to me? Probably not. (laughs) No. If you need to, fucking do it. Actually, Julie gets mad because I don't ring the bells on the guests. And she thinks that it's unfair. Is that fair to say? 
Yeah, at first. I do feel like that's fair, though. I feel like it should be common ground. You should be able to ring the bell on a guest if they're being an idiot. There's something about asking somebody to come into essentially your space and asking them to share about their life. And yeah, we chat and we have some light talk. We get kind of heavy and Chad's right. We're the hosts. We have to make them feel comfortable. I will ring the bell on a guest, but I'm really extra sensitive with Julie, but Julie likes it. You have more grace with the guest, which I think is nice. Yeah, we have more grace with the guest. Yeah. I would say I'm a new fan of your music. I've been listening to it since I learned that you were going to come join us and have continued listening to it because it's good. But there's some stuff about your story. There's some things that you've left behind that we want to know more about. I've listened to your music, so you can't really hide. I know you're introspective. <laughs> you have like an intimate melancholy, I think, in some of your music that I really dig. Yeah. I mean, I tend to be a fairly open book in general. Have you ever done an interview where you're like, ooh, I shouldn't have said that, or where it comes back to haunt you? Because in doing research for this, I was like, she says anything. Not anything, but (laughs) you feel like a really open person. Yeah, well, I think the best part about vulnerability is it enables and encourages other people to also be vulnerable when you share your story. I mean, just jumping right into it. My brother died last year of a heroin overdose. And because I've been very open about sharing that story, it's enabled other people to share their stories and it destigmatizes the whole thing around it. I think it's really important to share. And I haven't had any interviews where I've stopped and went, Ooh, that's going to come back to bite me. I did say something once. (laughs) I have a song with Niall Horan Mm -hmm. and his fans are rabid. Yes. And I love them. And a lot of them are mine now. Mm -hmm. Uh But I think in an interview, they were like, what's one question you could never get asked again? And I think I said, what's it like to work with Niall Horan was my answer. Well, that's valid. (laughs) It's so valid. If you get it all the time. And I don't think it came back to bite me, but I did think about it later. Like, oh, I really hope the fans don't take it. It's not about him. It's just I'm a woman in the music industry. Keep getting asked about what's it like to work with Phineas? What's it like to work with Niall Horan? Mm. And I'm like, I am here on my own fucking merit. Yes, they're great men and I'm good friends with both of them, but let's talk about me some more. (laughs) I just saw Chad light up like a firecracker when you said that. Yeah, I like that. (laughs) Because that's where we intersect too, is Mm. this idea that we're not white dudes and they run the world. And it's really frustrating. And without raging against it, how do you be authentic and how do you exist I was thinking about your 2020, which you just shared with us about your brother. You also sort of blew up over those 18 months. If you could sort of sequence for us how those things happened in your life, your blow up and also what happened with your brother and what it was like for you to experience such a high high and such a low low at the same time. Hmm. You definitely don't know what you don't know until you know it, until you're in the thick of it. I've been through quite a bit of trauma in my childhood. And actually, that is stuff that I haven't really shared and probably will wait. But been through a bit of trauma in my life where I thought I can handle anything. I'm tough. I can go through it. And then, yeah, in the middle of February 2020, Mm. my song Moral of the Story was put in this movie. The lead actress in it lip sings the entire verse and chorus. The sync must be like a minute and 30 seconds. Wow. Syncs are never that long. 
That was insane. And it gives a lot of people time to shazam it and like, oh, what's the song? Overnight, that song, it went from like 2,000 streams a day on Spotify to 150 to 1 million. And then it peaked at 2 million streams a day. A day. On Spotify. And we were like, I think something is happening. (laughs) I think my whole life has changed forever. (laughs) It was really magical. And we just were like, all right, how do we leverage this into not just a moment, but a legacy? And I've been in the music industry working my ass off for, well, over five years. And we were trying to figure out how to catapult into more. And we low-key crushed it. I mean... (laughs) (laughs) We lucky crushed it. (laughs) You over the top crushed it. The whole thing. I'm really proud of us. My entire team, from label to management to me and creative, we knew that we could let this moment go to waste or learn how to leverage it into a career. Moves like calling Niall Horan and him being a part of that song. He rewrote the second verse and we put that song out together. And that was another game changer forever. So did you have a bunch of stuff locked and loaded in the hopper that was almost ready to go to release at the same time? It seems like you didn't know that Moral of the Story was going to be so huge. No, I mean, we knew it was going to be in that movie maybe eight months before, but they didn't share any details or how, like, big it was going to be in the movie. I've gotten sinks before. I low-key had a Taco Bell sink for, like, a year and a (laughs) half, but they didn't... But it didn't have any of my voice in it. So we got paid for it. But I've had syncs before where it doesn't do a damn thing for you or your career. When you start watching the daily streams going crazy, what was happening in your real life? Because in the imaginary movie world, that happens and then cut to you in fancy car of your choosing, giant house, perfect relationship, (laughs) fire your team, hire all sparkly new managers and agents. Nothing but champagne and (laughs) cocaine, hot tubs, good shoes. We did fire some people. (laughs) (laughs) Side note. (laughs) Some people were fired. Uh, Some people were fired. No, I was in a 500-square-foot bungalow in West Hollywood. It was right before the pandemic hit. Yeah. And also, while externally my career was changing so much and perception of me was changing so much, my life was in like a frozen moment. The world thought I was blowing up, but my life was stuck in 500 square feet. Mm. And I was doing interviews. I would have been flying all over the U.S. And across the world. In February, we were talking about an international radio tour and traveling. Mm. And then, you know, lockdown happened. I did my first late night TV performance in 2020. They're going to kill me that I don't remember. It might have been Kimmel, but it wasn't our Kimmel. It wasn't our Kimmel. It wasn't our Kimmel. Our Kimmel, which shall live in infamy. I was so lucky to have you perform on my very first time, hopefully not last, hosting Kimmel. I picked you when they first gave me the list of all the people. And it's like seven pages long, as if you get a choice. (laughs) You could be like, I'd like Meryl Streep and (laughs) Ash. And they can go, guess who doesn't want to come? And so you were my top, top music choice. They're like, she said yes. She did. 
She said that. I felt confident because you said that. Girl, anytime you call me, Ah. I will be there. You're watching your own blow up on your phone, basically, in a 500 square foot apartment. You're waking up every day, probably super early with your heart beating fast and looking at your streams and probably realizing you're a famous recording artist now. Is that what happened? (laughs) That sounds so dope. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You should write my press bio. Oh, shit. It's pretty great. Yeah, you look at your phone and my Instagram followers are going up and the stream counts are going up, but it's all filtered through a digital platform. But nothing was tangible. At a time where you'd launch a tour, go play some sold out shows and hear all these people scream the lyrics to a song they now know, which they did not know it before. Yeah. Based off of all the success, I'm now going on that headline tour. Oh. Like, it's taken this long to finally play some shows. What did you have to do in the meantime to keep it up and keep it going? If you miss that sort of window of opportunity, like you said, how do you keep the ball in the air? Yeah, I was putting out more music, and then I released my debut album, which you announced. Mm-hmm. You're it holding so it so much. <laughs> I just love when you go... I was like, so happy. Everyone was like, do you even like her? I'm like, hell yeah, I like her. Oh, yeah. It was so cool. Oh, my God. That was a good moment for me. <laughs> so we were releasing music, and I was playing the late night TV shows, top of 2021. That was the first time I had done Ellen. And so there were moments like that that felt a little bit more real and tangible getting to perform. Phineas and I did American Idol. No. <laughs> no that's <is> crazy. <laughs> that was pretty ridiculous. There were moments of real life, but even still, here I am with you guys in front of a computer. Yeah. I'm good at this. Yeah. I've been doing this for a year and a half. Right. Yeah. So it's been weird. Yeah. And then in the midst of it, there was a lot of loss and tragedy for everybody. It's not a story that's unique to me. But your story is unique. I mean, your story is yours. And I'm the first one to always say like, oh, my story is never as bad. Not that much happens. But loss is loss. And death by a thousand paper cuts is still death. We all have our thing. And you did have a lot of loss in there. Yeah. I agree. I don't mean to minimize my own personal trauma. I just also don't want to minimize other people's. We all were going through a cumulative sort of experience together and then all experiencing our own waves of loss. And in the midst of that, having winner's guilt because Mm. I'm going through extreme loss, but I can't even be that sad about it because my whole career is changing which I can be, and I was, but there was this level of pressure of the outside world going, you can be sad, but also look how much better you have it than the rest of us. And you got a break in 2020. And that was another sort of weird thing to process, I think. Did you lose your brother in 2020? Mm-hmm. So February, moral of the story pops. Mm-hmm. My career is changing and things are good. Mm. September 11th, my brother dies. Wow. I am so sorry. I don't understand people that have never experienced grief or loss. And I feel like whenever I come across someone who has, no matter what, we could speak completely different languages. And I'm like, we're on the same page. I feel you. And so I'm really Mm. sorry for that. Thank you. Yeah, I absolutely relate to what you just said. There's like a unspoken 
camaraderie. I'm not sure what the right word would be. It's just other people who've gone through a divorce. You don't even have to tell me Yeah, I get you. Like, yeah. I know what that's like. So, yeah. No, I relate to that. And thank you for saying that. I think I've, I've processed it a lot since then. There's no way to slice it other than it sucked. You said at the start that he died of a heroin overdose. Was that his drug of choice? Was he on that road for a while? Yeah, that was about 13 years of addiction. But he had been sober for going on three years. Mm. I think he was going to hit four months of sobriety by Christmas time of 2020. Yeah, so September 11th, he relapsed. And when an addict goes back out after being sober for a while, they usually use the same amount that they had used before. And it's far too much. And he overdosed. And overall, I'm always pretty vocal about sharing the story just because it destigmatizes the energy around addiction. And a lot of people felt worse for me than they did for my brother mm. because addiction has such a negative connotation around it. And so when someone dies of an overdose or that lifestyle, it's their fault. Right. And it vilifies their death. So it was so much easier in my head when I didn't say this, but in my head I went, oh, it would be easier for me to say my brother died of a car crash because people would be able to understand that and feel so sad and feel so sad for him and what a loss. But when it's an overdose, there's this whole other oh, yeah. layer to that. Oh, it's his fault. But if you said he died of a disease— they would go, oh my gosh, that's so awful. I'm so sorry. What was the disease? Then you say addiction. And they go, well, that must be a choice, right? Yeah, like, what a weak person. Yeah, I've got three kids and I'm terrified of fentanyl. Do you ever wonder if there was fentanyl in his heroin when he overdosed? Because a lot of people are dying of fentanyl being in everything. Yeah, it was definitely a thought I had. I never asked to see the toxicology report. Uh -huh. We knew it was heroin alone. While I'm comfortable talking about it and while I've processed it a lot, it's also one of those areas that's like, I'm only going to give you so much time of my life because my life's going to end too. Right. And I'm not going to give it more than it gets. Ash, I want to ask you an artistic question that is tangential to what we're talking about here. Tangential. Is that a word? It is a word. I love this. Yeah, this is great <laughs> because, well, no. usually at least twice an episode, Julie uses a word that I don't know. And I'm like, that's made up. I love, I am, I'm going to start using tangential. Tangential, like going. a tangent off of that question. Yeah. yeah. So I'm a writer. I write all kinds of stuff. But most of this stuff that I'm writing, whether it's an op-ed or nonfiction or a screenplay, I'm mostly ripping it off from real life. I'm mostly just using what I'm actually experiencing, what I actually see and putting it in there. Your music is that times a thousand. It feels like I'm in a closet with you just listening to you tell me exactly what you're going through and what you're feeling. But you're painting a portrait of some people that have been in your life, one of them being your ex-husband. It comes up now because... We're talking about how you're processing the things that happened with you and your brother. Do you have any rules for yourself about how bare you can lay the other people in your life, in your art, versus how much you protect them? Oh, that's so good. <laughs> 
a thought that goes through my head is, am I going to get any legal trouble? (laughs) (laughs) Also, songwriting is a really cool way to process your life without getting into trouble. (laughs) So, like I said before about childhood trauma, there's just boundaries I haven't crossed out of respect and love for other people in my life who are still very much alive. I know for a fact that my brother was comfortable with me talking about his addiction while he was alive. Mm -hmm. And when he was in his three years of sobriety, he was very vocal about his addiction recovery and was helping a lot of people. And I had asked him, is this something you're comfortable with me ever sharing publicly is I'm in the public And he was very open about all of it. I've asked that question of other people and they have said no. So I respect that. But if it's my own personal only directed me or like my divorce, that is free game. Really? You know, Mm. especially because I was in a really toxic, emotionally abusive relationship. Like you don't get to tell me what I can and can't say any longer. Mm. So I really said a lot. I so admire it and I love all your music and I hope that you don't have to continue to have painful things happen because I love your music and I don't want you to always be in pain, but it comes from such a beautiful place. So there's the silver lining, but I'm divorced and I don't really ever get into the nitty gritty publicly. I feel very righteous about my side of the story completely and behind closed doors, I'm happy to share it, but I feel like he doesn't have a public platform Therefore, it's unfair. No one's asking him to come on a talk show and hash it out. He's just a normal person who is not in the public eye. But have you ever had an experience with your ex where he's like, you know, would you mind shutting the fuck up? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I bet. I bet he wishes. Uh, No, I 1,000% percent respect that. Also, it's your story. You get to decide how you want to share that. And we didn't have kids. Right. I think the storytelling would be far different if kids were involved because then I have to deal with them. Right. The second we got divorce attorneys involved, I haven't said a word to him since. Yeah. That's part of the luxury of having attorneys because you don't have to talk to each other anymore. (laughs) They do for you. There's a fantasy that lawyers are going to come in and just clean everything up and only facts are going to be dealt with. That's not true, kids. Ooh, it's not true. Oh, it's not true. (laughs) (laughs) Also, I think that we are hardly ever the villain in our story. Mm. We like to put everyone in their boxes, and we love to be the hero and the main character of our story. And every story needs a villain. And so I think that it's probably a good practice once in a while to put yourself in that position. I am the villain in my ex-husband's story, for sure, especially after the success I've had. I'm sure from his perspective, it's fuck you for having all the success off leaving me. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it was my decision to leave and to file for a divorce. So I'm definitely the villain in his story, and that's okay. But I think it's interesting what you're saying, Julie, about your ex doesn't have the same level of defense as you. Mm -hmm. I think that's honestly something I haven't really thought a lot about. And I think that's very challenging to me. I also think about Olivia Rodrigo and her putting her story out there. All of Taylor Swift ever. Yeah, we're treated to a lot of it. And we're capitalizing, profiting off our pain and our stories. But, ooh, you're really challenging me right now. It's really good. But I would never want anybody to stop making their 
art either. Right. You're not exactly profiting off the truth. You're giving this narrative of how he's the villain. You took all of that and you put it in songs and art and Chad, you put it in stories. So it is both bigger, more removed from the truth, and at the same time, more universally truthful. Therefore, Mm. it's art. It's not really profiting off of them. And I'm saying this to protect you legally. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for that. You said you could see how you'd be the villain in your ex's story, having all this success coming off of breaking up with him. I don't want to just superimpose the message of this podcast onto your story, but do you see it as you needed to detach a barnacle so that you could become ash in bright, shining lights? I definitely didn't then. All I knew then was what I was in was not benign. Mm. It was cancerous. And Mm. it felt like it was going to kill me somehow. And I just knew that leaving was the only way to survive. I wasn't going, ooh, I bet I'm going to leave my ex-husband, blow up my entire life, but it's going to work out because I'm going to get a hit song from it and everything is going to be fine. I didn't think any of that. I just knew that I needed to get out and I needed to leave that behind. And I was looking up the podcast. I love the name. And I was looking up the origin of the word quit. Mm. And in Latin is set free Mm. or release. I mean, I'm not a linguist, and this was just like me looking up online, and I was like, do-do-do, oh, now I'm super knowledgeable about this word. But I really love taking back the energy around the word quit, and it being instead of this negative, oh, I'm quitting Mm -hmm. this thing in my life, it's really like I'm setting myself free from thing. And so setting myself free from my relationship Whenever you step into that next season and away from something that you know was really bad for you, you're stepping into like who you're supposed to be. So, yeah. You had huge success surrounding and somewhat inspired by the loss of this relationship in your life. I was joking before, but are you like, oh God, I got to find pain to be wildly successful. (laughs) I've been asked this question before. My answer keeps changing, but... A, I think life has kicked me in the teeth enough times to know that it's probably going to do it again. (laughs) Whether that's my own fault, like I'm stepping into something of my own doing, I definitely had something to do with my divorce. But also, I feel like I've gone through enough experiences. You're able to dig back into that. Going through the anger phase of grieving that relationship, I still tap back into that stuff. There's something else I wanted to ask you about quitting. You were raised really religious. Super religious. (laughs) Was that a factor in your getting married relatively young? I think I was just irresponsible. (laughs) (laughs) I think I just made a poor choice. He was actually a part of my moving away from religion. I met him in my senior year at Berklee College of Music, and I straight up led the Christian group at my college for like a year. And then I met him and started having sex with him. And I was like, I probably shouldn't be the leader of this group anymore (laughs) because they're all going to think I'm a terrible person. And he was actually a beginning of moving away from that world, I'd say. Was he in that Christian group? 
no, he wasn't in that school at all. But when you essentially quit yourself from being the head of the Christian group at Berkeley and were having sex with this man that became your husband, are there rifts that were not able to be healed? I haven't gotten into too much deep shit with anyone from that era of my life. I think in general, because I don't vilify them for still being in it or for choosing that as a way of life. I know that it is not healthy or good for me to be in that world. Personally, I believe there's a lot more going on than just what I can touch and feel. I think there's a lot more out there, but tend to be very spiritual still and very open-minded. And so I'm not going to make other people wrong for believing something I used to believe. It doesn't work for me in my life. It doesn't work for me being a loving person to other people. Are the people from those previous phases, are they still in your life? Is there anything surprising about how you are now to them? Have you changed? You are a good question asker. (laughs) (laughs) I feel very challenged by this entire experience. (laughs) In general, I don't hang on to very many people. Hang on to family, regardless of our beliefs or differences. I think every year I get older, I appreciate them more. Friendships are really, really rare and unique to me. I've never been someone who has a bunch of friends. I tend to be an introvert with extroverted tendencies or whatever they call it. My circle is very small. I can count them on one hand of people that are really in my life. And I don't hang on to people. So I'll get messages from people back then that were just friends, not family, of like, I'm so excited for you and your success. Or can I get tickets to this show? (laughs) That shit happens all the time. I don't think they care if I'm a Christian or not anymore, as long as I can get them tickets to a show. (laughs) Do they ever ask for tickets to someone else's show? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. I had a friend ask me for tickets to Coachella. I'm not even performing at Coachella. (laughs) People think that at a certain level, you have the keys to the kingdom. (laughs) Yeah, no, someone asked me if they should go out with Jennifer Garner. And I said, I don't know. They're like, well, couldn't you work that out? I'm like, what? I met her at a party. No. Julie, you're so famous. You can definitely hook me up with Jennifer Garner. Can you just call Jennifer Garner, who seems like a lovely woman? (laughs) Can I just make an observation? And I've been scared to make the observation from the beginning because I don't know how to word it. But you have sort of a mature affect. Like you look young and you feel like someone who's lived on Earth before. Is that something that you've gotten before? That's, I thought you were going to say something mean. No, 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 <laughs> no, no. <laughs> That's so nice. <laughs> I feel like you have a really high bullshit detector. Is that a thing? <laughs> I like to think so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> because it wasn't there. Is it still a bullshit detector if you're detecting as you're walking out the door? And this is something because I like I have a great bullshit detector. It's like, do you really? You do. <laughs> I feel like you see through people. You know what? People that I just meet. Yes. But when you get into relationships with people, when you start to go, I'm going to ignore this red flag or that red flag, I'm going to keep filling in the gaps and making this person the person that I want them to be rather than the person that they actually are. So it was like the closer I get, the less I see the person. Mm. Ooh, well said. You make excuses. I feel that way. I can make a pretty quick judgment that's usually fairly right. Because you're just getting this sort of information that someone's presenting to you right out the gate because that's the information they want to give you. Mm -hmm. This is very nice of you to say, Chad. You're welcome. I think some of it's just life and the whole me joking about it kicking me in the teeth. I think you just grow up quicker. 
I also am just ridiculous and silly. And in this setting, we're having a mature conversation. So I'm not jumping around the room. But you should see me on Christmas morning. My family's trying to like put me in the closet because I'm psycho. Just like very silly and a little kid. I also think that right now having a conversation like we're having, it merits a level of maturity because we're all having in-depth conversations that should be filtered through love and respect. And I'm not trying to be mature. (laughs) You got to follow her on Instagram. She is definitely a live wire. And it's so fun. You're trying on different outfits. And then they're like, what about this? There's like glasses. It's like hanging out with the most fun kid at camp. It's very (laughs) joyful. And it's very open. And it's very unproduced. Mm. Is that a conscious choice in how you want to be seen by the world? Or is that just an automatic reflex? I think that, yes. I try to be very intentional about everything I do, especially on social media and especially with my career changing at a time where that's the only thing I have to represent myself. Mm -hmm. I'm not on the couch at the late night show. I'm not on stage performing and getting to talk to real people. So this is the only way I have to represent who I am. So I do try to be really intentional about all of that. But at the same time, I'm not trying to like manipulate a brand. I think when you're just who you are, it makes your life a lot easier. It takes a lot of the effort and the work out of it. I don't know. I don't really know what the hell I'm doing. (laughs) Do you read comments? Mm, Not usually. On Twitter, I do because they're strangely nice to me on Twitter. Do you like read, read them or are you scanning for keywords? I try not to do it on Instagram too much. Most of it is very kind, but human nature is find the needle in the haystack of who's the dick. (laughs) We've talked about this before that you'll look and look for that one. And that's the one you're going to believe. Even if you're not really looking for it, you're like, oh, nice, nice, nice. And that one person that's like, I don't know. I don't know how to talk about music. So I'm going to be Randy Jackson, be like, she's a little pitchy. (laughs) And then you're like, oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because it feeds your insecurities because we believe that our insecurities are right. Yeah. When we're feeling confident and feeling good about ourselves, why is it so hard to believe those thoughts? My insecurities are so much more convincing. And so when people are commenting like, you're beautiful or all the nice things, my insecurities are going, that's nice, but you know the truth. That one comment, that one person is like, yeah, you did only make a song with Niall Horan to help your career. And then that one freaking dagger, ugh, did I? I'm out here trying to work my ass off and make good music, and I met a guy that I have a good relationship with now, and man, people really can get under your skin. Is there something wrong with doing something to further your career? No. (laughs) He's really talented and well-known, and you work together well. So isn't then the goal that we both lift each other to a different level? Why is that the thing that we reflexively go, ew, I can't say that. I can't say that I was trying to further my career. Yeah, he made a career decision as well, which is something I have to take the pill on sometimes when very special, famous people like Julie want to work together. These people aren't doing charity. No, hell no. You wrote a good book. Thank you. And somebody sees a shooting star, something like that. They see you and they're like, she's amazing. I want parts of this. Yeah, you're helping him stay relevant too. And there's nothing wrong as long as you have a good time doing it and nobody's dead, nobody's pregnant. (laughs) Those are the things I live by. (laughs) Nobody's Nobody's dead, dead. nobody's 
pregnant. Nobody's dead. Nobody's pregnant is what <laughs> I was taught by some therapist years ago when I was freaking out about a breakup. <laughs> and he said, nobody's dead. Nobody's pregnant. Everything else can be managed. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. I say it to my kids all the time and they're like, mom. Like, well, that's true. That is genius. Those are words <laughs> to live by. So when I went to listen to your music, I go to your Spotify page. I start at the top with the thing that has the most streams and go down the page, which is what I think a lot of people do. But do you feel pressure to make another thing like that? Even though the thing that became that, it became that through a vessel that you didn't even expect. Yeah, that pressure is always there. I've tried not to check in daily, but we live in a world where commercial success is incredibly important and perception rules the day. I like to hear those numbers every once in a while. It's not good for me or my mental health to wake up every morning and check. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think that there's this constant sort of teeter totter? What is it called? Seesaw. Seesaw, teeter-totter. Yeah. Seesaw. Seesaw. (laughs) But yeah, there's this pressure of I'm an artist who is a creative and I am a storyteller. And that is the number one. That's the most important thing. And making music that my fans relate to and that they love and they feel a little less alone. All of that is the most important. And that's the artist. And then the pop star Mm -hmm. and the person who wants to get more late night TV opportunities and wants to be able to grow and be successful and put her commercial hat on is a totally different person. And I'm not saying this is wrong. There's nothing wrong to wanting to further your career or make something out of your life that's exciting. I live a life that I know both of you can relate to this, that most people will never get to experience. The access we have is very different to what a lot of people get to experience. And there's nothing wrong with wanting that. It's just a very different side of me than the girl who just wants to make songs. Mm. As you look at the future, you're on this ascendant track right now, which is glorious and wonderful. But of course, there's the flip side, which means if you're like me, you're like, when am I going to fall? When is this going to crash and burn down? And does the artist or the pop star, who's propping this up, the long-term journey? Or is it a two-hander? Oh, I think there's such an important duality that has to be put into place because the artist isn't going to make it alone. Yeah. I mean, she's smart and she is really cool and independent, but she is not business savvy. There's just a different hat that has to be had. But just the commercial head, you know, the pop star needs depth. If you are just out there looking for fame and success, that is empty and it doesn't have any weight to it. It has nothing for people to hold on to. We're asking people to buy into us. Mm -hmm. When I'm writing a song and I'm out there in the world, I'm not asking them just to love my music. I'm asking them to buy into the whole thing. And that's me. And so it takes a lot more than just being the cool artist girl. And it's why a lot of people will never make it because they won't sacrifice some of those Mm -hmm. other areas. Are there a bunch of big mouth dudes kind of trying to tell you how to live your life now and make decisions and stuff for you? Ooh, there's a lot of big mouth dudes in my ecosystem, but none that work for me or alongside me. They got fired. Just kidding. Uh (laughs) Ah. So they're in your orbit, but in what capacity? I've worked with some producers in the past that prioritize their agenda 
for some artists, they need a producer that are going to prioritize their agenda because they don't know what they want. I happen to be someone who really knows what I want. So I'm not everyone's particular favorite flavor to work with. But some interviewers... I've had a lot of radio interviewers ask inappropriate questions and stuff like that. But the people on my team are really good humans who do challenge me, but we're all fighting for my life, my career. So I get to lead. It's easy to filter out people who are loudmouth and have an opinion about what I should wear. And I've been thinking about next year and what next year looks like and the clothes I'm going to wear and all of that. And I've had a couple of conversations with safe people. And they're like, is this your idea? Is it coming from someone else? And I was like, no, if someone else was telling me what I should wear, I would do the opposite out of defiance because I hate that. Do you mean you know what you want artistically or you know what you want out of your life and your career? Both. The title of this episode is Yes And. <laughs> yes, and. You're on this ascendant, wonderful ride. Do you ever think, I wish I owned more of this myself? Oh, man. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> it's not like any of this shit is new. This is what's been happening since Cleopatra was fucking in charge. So there are things that just feel like they may just never change. But moral of a story as it was coming up in pop radio... There was a time where research was telling us it was set to be like a top seven record and an older white male blocked the record. A guy in charge was like, this isn't a pop song and we're not going to program it. And he blocked the record across all top 40 pop radio. And so the record halted at hit 21, I think, on pop radio. And there's a lot of factors that go into that. But in that case... It was literally one white dude in charge who said, nope, even though research is telling me that this is supposed to be a top seven record at pop radio, I'm disregarding the research and I decide it's not a pop song. So I'm going to block the record. I like that story. And I hope one day, whenever it is that you feel like it, that you say that person's name out loud into a hot mic, because I don't like how people like him get to hide behind corporations. That's a dude. That's a person who was like, nah, I don't know about this fucker. And I just hope you have your vengeance one day. Thank you. What did he think he had to make room for? Or what did he think he was protecting? Was he protecting like bro party music? In the end, you're way cooler for it. Don't you think there's almost something bad about being too popular in music? Yes, and. <laughs> <laughs> People who were so excited about Olivia Rodrigo's come up, and then as she started being everywhere, people started being like, I don't know if I like her or not. And I'm like... Shouldn't we just root for people when they're successful? There's also a side of it that's like, good for her. Everyone loves an underdog story. And maybe I will be a perpetual underdog. But also, I'd love to not be. I'd love to not have to constantly be clawing my way to the top. You know, that's what my whole career has felt like. And there's moments of, ooh, I got a break. But then some white dude <laughs> is going to block it. And I don't get that next break. So I think that, yes, it's cooler to be an underdog. And there is a sort of artistic mm -hmm. back to like the artist that's like, ooh, mm -hmm. I'm going to keep rooting for her because she hasn't gotten the opportunity she deserves. Well, I heard Save Myself in a car and it was pouring rain. 
And I was freaking out trying to get out my Shazam because I was like, who, what am I hearing? What is this? And I felt that I had discovered you. And there's that feeling that we all have when we think we've discovered an artist, a writer, a musician that's really personal. Like you were mine. And I'm so excited to A, have discovered you, but that even more people discover you every day. But you still feel like you're mine. Like that moment was still really personal. And it's that intimate connection that as an artist, you get no matter what, no matter who's blocking you and no matter who's promoting you. And I want to just end on the positive note of thank you. And thank you for giving me that and for letting me feel like I got to discover you. And if anybody has not listened to Ash, please do, because she's talking to you alone in your closet. Am I right, Chad? Mm -hmm. Yeah, (laughs) you're totally right. (laughs) Thanks, Julie. Yeah, you have a really big spirit, man. Thank you so much for doing this for us. And now we're going to be your loyal fans forever. We are your loyal fans. And thank you for sharing your quits, big and small, and for sharing the etymology of the word quit. That was really awesome. I really appreciate that. From a super Latin nerd, I should have done that myself. I'm jealous. I'm jealous. I don't (laughs) want to give you the credit, but I'm gonna. (laughs) I mean, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It meant a lot to me. When I got your message, I was like, she wants to have me on her podcast. (laughs) I called my manager. I was like, wait. After Kimmel, when you were like hanging out in my dressing room, I was like, I kind of can't handle it. (laughs) Oh, I felt the same way. Some people on my team were taking pictures of us. Like, she's going to want to have these later to look at. Her talking to Julie Bowen. It was like a whole thing. That was just so great. But honestly, Ash, you are awesome. And thanks so much. Thank you, Ash. Thank you guys so much.